Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we have a special guest to the pod, Guy LeCharles Gonzalez. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Long time listener, first time guest, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you're an expert in so many things that that was kind of the reason that I was interested in approaching it this way, where I was like, okay, there's like, you have a wide skill bag, you know, and a lot of people come at it from a sort of a singular end, you know, like they're a good salesperson or they're a good editor or, you know. Whereas, like, you do a lot of different things and had a lot of different expertise. So can you talk a little bit about how you sort of came into all that? Uh, I came into the industry in 93. I, I spent a couple of years in the Army um, and not in <clears throat> the Hollywood way. In the, I had run out of money and didn't know what to do next. So I needed a couple of years to kind of go figure my life out somewhere safe. <laughs> This was at the beginning of Desert Shield, so oh, no. not maybe the wisest decision. But um, by the time I got out of basic training, the the hard part of the war was over, though technically it's never ended. Um, so I came out <clears throat> from active duty in 93, got a temp assignment back you know, in the old days of, there were temp agencies everywhere and all kinds of hourly uh, jobs in New York City. Uh, I ended up at a directory publisher in their accounting department for a week. And then a couple of weeks later, they liked me. They had another opening in their circulation department. And what was supposed to be a two-week end-of-year assignment for some vacation coverage, four days in, uh, one of the three people in the department, something bad happened with uh, the main directory that she was responsible for, and she quit. The since I, as I recall, she kind of got blamed for something that maybe wasn't completely her fault, but she was going to take the fall for it. So this was like uh, two weeks before Christmas, and she was like, screw this, I quit. Um, and so of the publications she worked on, there was one particular one that used uh, some software called QuickFill. That this is 93, this is that kind of transitional, so I'm 24 or so at that point. Um, I grew up with an Atari 2600, Commodore 64. Computers were just a normal thing for me. They were cool. They weren't scary. And I was in a department uh, with people a generation and a, two generations ahead of me for whom computers were these annoying things that were being pushed into their offices. So I basically taught myself this uh, platform for this once a year directory that nobody else knew how to use. And my two-month assignment turned into a nine-month ass assignment turned into they finally hired me after nine months. <laughs> like you're indisposable at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'd taken on a few other things, and that's kind of how I fell into circulation uh, marketing, which uh, for, I guess, the younger people in the audience, it is the foundation of what has grown into all kinds of newfangled digital marketing. At its heart, 
It's uh, direct marketing. It's sending things out that you can track, measuring their performance, tweaking how they do, making adjustments there. It's subscription-based, you know, what's old is new again. Um, so that was the core of my career. <clears throat> I was there for a couple of years and then basically bounced around in publishing. I always wanted to work in book publishing. And the longer I stayed in magazine publishing, the bigger a negative that came for book publishers. The, oh, you've never sold to, you've never marketed to Barnes and Noble. Well, you're kind of useless to us because it was all about intermediaries. The concept of direct to consumer marketing, uh, direct sales, none of that was relevant. And, you know, I'm here in New York City. So it was, it was I guess this was pre big five, whatever predated uh, serious consolidation. So over the years, I moved around in uh, mag on the magazine side of the business, always marketing, marketing adjacent. At one point, I got tired of, uh, I'll say, diplomatically less qualified, but more charismatic salespeople making more money than me for taking that final step that as the marketer, I did everything else and decided I'm going to transition to sales because, you know, we had a kid. It's like, I got to start making more money. Um, Moved into sales, absolutely hated it, everything I thought and worse. Um, but, you know, I toughed it out because part of what I knew is on the magazine side, the path to publisher went through sales. It, unless you were like the friend or relative of someone in the business, <laughs> yeah. you basically had to come up through sales. Um, and so fast forward, I worked at F&W Media uh, as ad sales, for Writer's Digest and a couple of their other publications. They had a big shakeup. I ended up becoming publisher of Horticulture Magazine. I wanted Writer's Digest. I was the ad director for Horticulture, Writer's Digest, and Family Tree. And in the shakeup, uh, my colleague, Jane Friedman, eminently more qualified to run Writer's Digest at that time. She ended up taking on the publisher roles of Writer's Digest. I took over Horticulture. Um, some things changed there. We launched Digital Book World, the original Digital Book World. Uh, the current iteration of it is a different owner. Um, and that's where I finally, F&W introduced me to the book world because they were magazines and books and events and kind of everything. But at their heart, they were looked at, especially in the book side of the industry, they were thought of as a magazine publisher that had some interesting niche books, but nobody took us seriously, um, including our big partner, Mike Shatsky, who was all about the big five. He thought we were this cute little interesting company that was going to try and put on a big event in a market they didn't know much about. And... We taught him a lot about direct-to-consumer marketing that would filter into his blog as discoveries he made on his own. It was shit he learned from us at F&W. So we launched Digital Book World. Um, that was a fascinating experience. I got to meet a lot of different publishing people, got to learn the good and bad about the industry I thought I really wanted to work in. Um, and then when I was ready to leave Digital Book World, I was kind of at this precipice of maybe I don't like book publishing, but my trajectory has kind of taken me in that direction. And I ended up uh, talking to Open Road Media and Library Journal. And at the end of the day, ended up going to Library Journal. So I went back to magazines. But at Digital Book World, I had kind of learned a lot about libraries and their challenges in the ebook market. So that was my introduction to working with libraries. Uh, I was there for four and a half years, predominantly marketing, but expanded into, you know, content marketing was becoming a much bigger thing. So balancing that, balancing the editorial side <clears throat> of things so that, you know, there's a line you don't want to cross. And before that line, there's a whole lot of gray area that maybe you don't want to get involved and you got to be careful about that. Um, you guys had 
I was listening this morning on my run, you did an episode about uh, publicity and you know the one rule, don't pay for publicity, which I 100% agree with, but there's a version of paying for publicity that sometimes people don't talk about, which is advertising in traditional publications is kind of the back door to paying for publicity. Uh, the big five doesn't necessarily have to pay uh, for ads to get their books reviewed, but there's so many books to be reviewed, they advertise to make sure their mid-list gets in there. Um, so that's, that was always an interesting balance. We never went the pay for review route. Uh, PW offered that, Curtis offered that. We drew a really hard line there. Um, but part of that was recognizing the needs of our audience in particular. So the 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 necessary flag of a paid review we knew would register different for librarians than maybe regular consumers. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was there for four and a half years, <clears throat> and then uh, they were acquired twice. And the second acquisition, both times private equity. Uh, the second acquisition was kind of your standard private equity nightmare. Um, my boss and good friend. Uh, I told him I was thinking about leaving right before I was left for vacation. What he didn't tell me because he didn't want to ruin my vacation is that he had already resigned. <laughs> so I came back from vacation <laughs> to find out he was leaving. So that began my like, all right, what am I going to do next? And that was the next, am I done with publishing? I actually went back to the magazine world again for a while uh, in travel, uh, the B2B side of travel magazines, events, marketing. And now I'm at a place called Library Pass. <clears throat> there was a little brief uh, period. I went back to F&W, private equity shenanigans. They went uh, bankrupt. So now I'm working with Library Pass, which is all about digital distribution, primarily of comics to schools and libraries. And so the through line for me has been marketing throughout. But I've pretty much done a piece of everything except production. But I've always made a point of learning about other aspects of the business. So you know, I might be the classic jack of all trades, pretty good at one. <laughs> I think I'm pretty good at marketing. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but um, so yeah, that's kind of how the past many, many years, nearing 30 now in this industry that uh, ended up where I am today. And it seems like um, you also have a lot of, I mean, you're, you've kind of made a name for yourself as a commentator. You know, I don't know who you are because you work at Library Pass or even at uh, Library Journal or any of that. I know because you have a blog and you're on social media and you're out there like setting the tone and um, informing people about what means what in publishing. And how did that start? So... I, I was blogging, you know, again, you know, growing up with computers, basically all of this was kind of just a natural uh, thing for me. The, I think the two touch points were, I used to run a, a reading series in the city and <clears throat> I was looking for ways to promote it. Mm -hmm. So I, I was one of the first series in the city to have an email list, which seems ridiculous and crazy, but everybody else had the sign-in form for their, your physical address so they could mail you stuff. Wait, yeah, I didn't have a budget to mail you. This was 97, yeah. 96, 97, 98, yeah. Um, so at that point, our first website for the series was a reworking of my GeoCities account, which then I eventually <laughs> yes. transitioned, I think, to Blogger and then to WordPress. There was a live journal phase in there. So I've kind of always been online in that way. And 
blogging and Twitter kind of coincided as part of a big part of my career because my first time at F&W, uh, we were at that transition of how to move these legacy print magazines online in useful, interesting ways. So blogs you know, were a big thing. And you know, this is the mid uh, 2004 to 2007 or so when everybody was like, hey, what are these blog things? Um, so my personal blog quickly started um, a industry blog where I would write about industry things. But basically, I was. It, this was my public way of voicing internal complaints that I would, you know, make vague and veiled, so it wasn't me explicitly like bashing our CEO. But and that part of the reason is he wasn't unique in the industry. So what I was writing about could be applicable to anywhere. Um, and then that coincided with the Tools of Change conference, which was the first conference I attended on Twitter was not there in person, even though it was in New York. You know, hashtags were the way we were all connecting at that point. And to this day, there are people who believe they met me at Tools of Change, like in person. <laughs> when in fact, we were just engaging on Twitter. Um, and, you know, there were people there live tweeting, and then there were people like us not there commentating. And so that kind of really spiked my online presence. And when Digital Book World launched, that became a big part. I basically launched the digital book world brand off the back of my you know small but growing online presence and then it kind of took off on its own a big part of the way i built that platform was pulling in other people who were active online writing interesting things and i would basically like hey can i republish that thing you wrote on our blog as an industry you know typical b2b trade magazine approach but online um and because of you know a my poetry background some would say being from the bronx I am a little outspoken, and that with social media, as we all know, can you know that can go both ways. <laughs> I, I do believe I've become unemployable in certain uh, aspects of the industry. I doubt I'll ever have a big five offer, which is fine because I actually don't have any interest in working for the big five. But when you speak about things like inequity, uh, treating libraries like crap. Those things don't always go so over so well at certain uh, publishing offices. So it, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think about that too. So you know, the the thing that struck me as the funniest, or funny in a sort of dark kind of way, but is that you said you were in the army for economic reasons, and then the industry you chose from there is publishing, <laughs> which is like far. I mean, not the least stable financially of an industry but i'd say bottom 10 <laughs> was that i mean i'm guessing you didn't know that at the time um it was partly didn't know but it was also partly i mean i think the business world is so different right now so in you know those early mid 90s temp roles you know that that was perfect for someone like me i didn't have a college degree <clears throat> you know i was relatively smart and determined and so was willing to kind of do anything. There was, you know, my background had an interest in publishing. I was a writer. You know, my first job was in a library. I delivered newspapers, like every stereotype you can think of, other than going to an Ivy League uh, school, fits someone who might end up in the publishing industry. The But me being, you know, lower middle class at my peak, maybe, kid from the Bronx, more like, you know, lower class, um, 
the concept of there were industries that paid better like to me it was hey i get to work in a thing i'm interested in that's really cool and they pay more than whatever minimum wage was that's awesome like i was 10 years in the industry before i even realized how underpaid i was <laughs> relative to other industries right yeah. right okay yeah I mean, and I came from food service, and there was still a pay cut. So, you know, <laughs> take that in mind. But, you know, Bartending so remains my favorite job ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, but that's, it's an interesting thing. You know, so, like, do you, are you just too in love now to go work marketing in a lucrative industry? Uh You know, I, there's a part of me that thinks I'm too old at this point. Like, I'm now, you know, I'm 53. So I'm at the point now where like I've been told uh, in past job searches by a couple of recruiters to stop saying how many years of experience I have. Wow. They see this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Once I hit the 20 plus uh, about five, four or five years ago when I was in the post library journal kind of looking around, um, I was specifically told by a few recruiters to stop putting a specific number on it because that could be a negative. And at that point, I wasn't 50 yet. <laughs> wow. So, right. I, uh, and marketing, I, I think what I've realized is I like marketing a lot. Like, that's the thing I like. I'm, I'm at a point where I'm starting to believe working for something, working with something you love, kind of once you know how the sausage is made, sometimes you don't like sausage so much anymore. Um, <clears throat> I got that way with poetry, for sure, and couldn't do, like, didn't read poetry for like 10 years. I was just so over the poetry <laughs> world. Mm -hmm. Like I'm barely edging back into being able to read poetry now. It was such a negative experience. Um, so there's a part of me that's like, you know what? Maybe it's time I leave media. You know, I think of, I think of my realm predominantly as media, not specifically book publishing. Um, but there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I could get paid more. But first, I'll probably be asked to take a step back. Which, you know, at my age, I'm like, am I ready to do that? Can I afford to do that? Which is ironic because a step back from any sort of media related salary, that in itself is an insult. So there's every time I get to the point where I'm ready to look around, I look at other industries and it's that weird tension of I don't have to love it, maybe, but I shouldn't hate it. So like financial services, I'll never go back there. Like I worked in financial media for a few years. I was a financial planner for a year. That was a complete disaster. Yeah. Um, so I know things about the financial industry that like I could never work in that industry. But also I think, you know, 401ks are a lie. Like, so I've got some extreme opinions that don't necessarily align with typical, hey, 401k is a great benefit. Well, not really. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm with you. So what, um, what uh, advice do you have before we get into meteor topics, um, which will be separate episodes for all of our listeners out there? Um, do you have like specific advice from all of your different jobs in media and publishing and magazines for somebody just coming up in the industry and trying to figure out their path? So uh, I'm really leery of giving advice to like a completely different generation because the world they're coming up in is so different. But I, I do think some fundamentals remain like, you know, be intellectually curious. Don't, even if you know you want to be an editor, learn about other aspects of the business, like really understand, you know, what, <clears throat> what an editorial work, you know, what's the foundation that sits on top of what happens after that book is out there that you should be aware of 
um, focus on being the best editor you can be, but don't be so focused that you have no clue what the rest of the business uh, is about. So like really be a student of the industry, understand the different components. Um, I, I did a session for Portland State University uh, last month about libraries and that, you know, I think libraries are one of the most underrated sources of information, not just literally go to the library to learn, but in the publishing uh, space, libraries deal with so much that the rest of the industry deals with, plus library specific stuff that I feel like people don't realize they could learn a lot from engaging with libraries and understanding where, how they work, because everything you're going to learn on the consumer side is applicable to the library side. But the libraries also have some unique uh, aspects of the business that if you're interested in editorial or marketing, you'll learn some interesting things by understanding how libraries operate. So that to me is the biggest thing, like be intellectually curious, you know, be as out there as you're able to be. I think social media makes it easier for introverts to kind of engage in network um, where the old days of you got to go to that uh, party after BEA and make these connections and blah, blah, blah. You know, to my point earlier, I met people on Twitter that think they met me at Tools of Change and they didn't. And people don't believe it. I'm mostly an introvert. Like my career in the poetry world, I was doing poetry slams and stuff powered by alcohol, which I do man. Don't power your career by alcohol. Find uh, more, uh, find healthier ways to kind of get yourself out there. But I do think the the pros of social media are something people underestimate and don't take enough advantage of, because it really, well, you know, Twitter was great until it wasn't for engaging with people that you might not otherwise be able to connect to. There are other platforms where you can do that. Uh, Twitter is not the end all be all. Uh, LinkedIn, I found in certain segments of the industry has actually become increasingly useful and valuable. But I think those are the two biggest things. Remain intellectually curious and engage and connect with as many people in the industry as you can. Don't get into the follower game. It doesn't matter if they follow you back. Find people that are interesting and are doing interesting things and sharing interesting insights. And you know, I think it's called a <clears throat> personal le learning network. You know you can build one of those on a variety of platforms. And that should really be your key goal is understand and learn as much about the business as you can. And everything else will kind of fall into place, you know, assuming you're on a particular track for marketing or editorial. Great advice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I fall into the same thing too, where I'm like the publishing I came up in is not the publishing of today. So it's really hard. So the, you know, I feel like the most good I can do is just give people a no bullshit version of reality where, you know, they can sort of then suss out what works for them and like what they're willing and not willing to do, you know, but, and that was the other thing that I wanted to touch on is that, so, you know, F and W, it kind of seems like all the various properties and IP kind of just got distributed around the ether. And a lot of times when people go through something like that, they either don't ever talk about it again because, you know, they're afraid that they'll get punished for doing so, or they just don't want to think about it anymore, you know, because it was like such a traumatic and, you know, painful experience. But you've actually been very vocal about what the company could have done differently and why you feel like there were missteps at various points and, 
you know, how communication could have been improved. So why, why do you feel like that was important for you? Uh, well, for two reasons. I think, A, the publishing industry in general is known for whisper networks, which makes it really difficult for people new to the industry, people not as well connected, to kind of see what, in, for a lot of people, are very obvious landmines. Um, a lot of what happened at F&W wasn't unique to private equity-owned companies. Um, and so writing about some of those signals, you know, is potentially is going to help someone either be aware of what's coming and be able to prepare, start looking for that job earlier, or, you know, God forbid you turn something down because you think things are going well, and then six months later, oh, shit, what? They filed bankruptcy. You know, Twitter has particularly been good about getting some of those signals out, you know, where you see a confluence of authors or freelancers complaining about late payments or lack of payments like canary in the coal mine the we we weren't seeing evidence of that at fnw online we knew of evidence in certain groups within fnw that were having trouble <clears throat> it wasn't till we started seeing more of it online it's like oh wait this isn't just this one community this is an fnw problem and then you start to realize as as a conco you know the the downside of consolidation is all it takes is one bad acquisition to really like dismantle the entire operation. And F and W, you know, over its time was a series of questionable acquisitions um, that basically led to its demise. But there were key executives. I mean, I try and draw the line around naming specific people, but you can poke around. We literally had an ex-con who defrauded the CIA and went to jail about 10 years back <laughs> running our technology operation would not withstand question. Uh-oh. That story was too much. They had to take it down. Sorry about that. You've been censored. Yeah, I think I think we shouldn't talk anymore about the CIA. Just, the just CIA heard me. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, my thing is, you know, there are there are some very clear signals out there that people should be aware of to look for. And if you work for a private equity owned company, they are ever present, and it's more a question of how loud they start getting. Um, but if you again be a student of the industry, <clears throat> if you're paying attention, you know, the past ten years. You know, there you don't need me specifically talking about the inner workings of F and W to kind of put together how private equity works. There's plenty of people who've talked about it broadly, but I like to think what I've written about, at least from a media perspective, will help people in you know in our industry start to see some of the signals and you know to kind of bring it back to books. If Simon and Schuster does ultimately get acquired by a PE company, that is a category of publishing professionals who have no idea what's about to hit them. And they really should be like, if you work at Simon & Schuster, start researching PE ownership right now so that if that's where it goes, you don't wait two years down the road for it to implode. Make a informed decision right then about whether or not you're going to invest any further time because PE run, you know, follows a pretty standard playbook and it rarely ends well, except for the owners. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were with, um, we did by Perseus when they 
well, through well, one of several <laughs> equity sales, and that that was really telling, because you know you're like, huh? And the, it's weird that like it, publishing might be the one industry where you like want the thing to be funded by one rich guy rather than like a company whose function is to get richer. You know, like it just which like you know none of these you know you wouldn't want these things to make any sense, but then weirdly that's the side you're like rooting for, you know. But so and you know and there's been a lot of talk with like book lists this week similarly and you know what the solution for that is, but you know I mean and these are sort of bigger problems, but you know when you're just a person like we are working in the industry you you know people really want to see this like bigger better badder version of like solving a problem in one foul swoop but so do you have any simple solutions for how to solve the uh, funding crisis of publishing <laughs> so I, I guess i'm taking it a little for granted if you're listening to this podcast you're probably at least a little clued into the world of indie publishing um <clears throat> i think if there's, I hate to frame it as anything good coming out of the pandemic, but I think one interesting aspect of the pandemic has been the necessary support of remote work. And the one of my biggest frustrations is people who talk about the publishing industry as if it's contained to New York City. If you don't work for one of those five publishers, you're not really in publishing. The, there are non-big five in the New York City area, and there are way more spread across the country, yourselves included. Um, I've always been, you know, one of my kind of core beliefs has been, you know, publishing is a community service. If you are serving a particular audience and really focused on serving them well, your chances of success are a lot higher than if you're a general trade publisher, kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, chasing uh, celebrities and bestsellers. The, so there's a part of me that, you know, if Simon & Schuster goes private equity, some of those imprints may fall out into independent ownership and actually succeed. Whereas core Simon & Schuster, you know, that backlist, it's going to get sold off. So, you know, I, th I think the funding issue for publishing to me is more about that corporate model of incessant growth, bestsellers, uh, publishing more than you can support in the hopes that you luck into a couple of hits that you weren't sure which one it was going to be. But if I throw enough of them out there, maybe one is. Um, to me, it's <clears throat> control your list, really know the audience you're looking to serve, You know, be creative about where you do and don't compete. You guys walked away from Amazon years ago, and it seems to have not hurt you. Um, there are ways... <laughs> There are ways to do publishing beyond what is considered the traditional model that are also not self-publishing, which is always presented as the only other option. Um, so I don't think publishing has a funding problem per se. Fun it's challenging for sure. It's not an easy business, but I think there's a different conversation for the big corporate models versus an independent model, you know, like excuse me, belt publishing, some of the other small indies that I talk about a lot as examples. Thank you. Though, listeners, we will have Guy on some recurring episodes, so stay tuned. There will be some reappearances for this riveting type of conversation. Thanks for joining us once again. 
please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.